Welcome to the Pharos Fit Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pharos Fit Podcast. I am here today with Emily Cabell. Hello. My mountain wife. <laughs> As opposed to... <laughs> Uh, city wife, I guess. Um, and but today same, I'm wearing a person, real heart. I don't have I don't have one city wife and one mountain wife. They're the same. Yeah, person. I, I get the joke, clear. but you should definitely make it clear to everyone else. Right. And, uh, and Brandon, my producer. Hey, Brandon. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, Very good, 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 good. good. Uh, today, guys, um, we want to talk about pregnancy and postpartum. Um, we have covered this topic before, but we are a family-based gym. Uh, we have a lot of families at the gym. We have a lot of mothers at the gym. And we deal with a lot of pregnancies at the gym, um, it seems, more and more. Um, and Emily especially gets a lot of people coming up to her and asking her advice about uh, pregnancy and postpartum. You know, people obviously have a lot of concerns. Um, they want to stay active. They want to stay fit, but they're not sure how to go about it. Uh, and there are obviously certain issues involved with, with pregnancy and postpartum that, that, that come up. So today we want to um, uh, kind of deep dive into the, the topics of pregnancy and postpartum. Um, Emily is somewhat of a, a guru on the subject, having obviously both been pregnant and uh, studied uh, pregnancy and postpartum and, and obviously certified in it. So, um, Emily, hello, first of all. Hi. Um, I wanted to start with kind of a general overview uh, of pregnancy and postpartum. When you approach the subject, what do you think would be like the over, overriding theme of how to, how to deal, how to coach uh uh, an athlete who is is either pregnant or is postpartum. Okay, so there's kind of two questions wrapped into that because there is the approach from both the athlete themselves and then the approach from the fitness professional or mm. like the coach, right? Sure. Um, and that is such an important thing to both differentiate but also talk about because as a coach, I've been coaching for you know over ten years now. I did not, I, and I've worked with pregnant and postpartum athletes before. Um, I did not get like properly certified and I did not get any education or, you know, have any curiosity about the education until I myself was pregnant. And then mm. I got did the pregnancy and postpartum athleticism certification and kind of deep dive uh, into how should I be approaching this? Because I know my body's changing and all of a sudden now I feel like I know nothing. Um, so I, <laughs> I feel like the first part is telling uh, fitness professionals, you will deal with this. Like they're you know 50 51 percent of the population and some will and some will not and some fathers will have the you know have wives and partners that they are um dealing with so at any time like you will deal with this so it's nice to have some education around it and just like most fitness approaches that the cookie cutter approach will not work the quickly the quick fix marketed approaches will not work and uh you know it's really important to kind of come up with some form of a formula that helps you individualize each person's approach well and also the stakes are higher right you're, you're now responsible for essentially two people in front of you so it's not like it's not like the worst thing that can happen is you don't get the fat loss results that you wanted that's why you come to the gym now it's like as a fitness professional you're responsible for the well-being of the two people who are now in front of you 
Totally. And I mean, hopefully coaches wear that weight with the one person in front of them. They're in the responsibility and, uh, you know, the opportunity and responsibility of having that person trust you and listen to you and be guided by you. Um, But then it's also, like I said, the responsibility of the athlete, you know, Um, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but the um the the athlete brain and what you think you can do and what you uh what you can do and what you maybe should do and the more mental sides of being pregnant and wanting to push yourselves and still having this idea of like having your body and wanting to uh live in it and control it to some extent while it's totally taking control of you and so there's like so many uh things at play when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum both for the coach and for the athlete that I kind of wanted to just sit down and be like like, all right, what's the formula? How do we, you know, how do we approach it? Because there's also a lot of bad advice mm. and a lot of misinformation. And most of it is wrapped around um, really great marketing, you know, so like fear tactics or like banking off of people's insecurities of like how sure. quickly can you lose the baby belly and ha- the fears of diastasis and, you know, your abdominal wall being ripped apart and like all yeah. of that, like fear tactics around it that I think it's important to kind of peel down down all of the layers and just kind of come, come back to like the training basics of it you know well and also i feel like there's there's two extremes there's the extreme of like well exercise is bad for you i'm not going to do anything during my pregnancy because i don't want to hurt my baby and then there's i'm going to keep doing everything i was doing before because it's not going to slow me down because i'm you know strong woman hear me raw type totally thing. the pendulum swings in both ways right. and they both feed one another because you know one side will see the other side being like oh i'm not gonna lift other uh, more than 10 pounds and be like yeah that's not for me i'm gonna yeah. go the crazy exactly. route you know so so often and, and as with all things the answer is neither on the left nor on the right but somewhere, <laughs> in the middle. But somewhere somewhere <laughs> swinging across in the middle and and hopefully swinging in the direction of like your like your alignment is not not necessarily at the center of the of that yes. pendulum you right. know um so figuring what, out what that is for you so i've had I've, I've thought about this a lot because i have over the past uh you know year as as it turned out and not by chance not by reaching out it's just so many people in our community i've worked with um a woman with ivf all throughout the process and now mm. she's about to give birth like yeah. within days of, of of right now and going in for her scheduled c-section i've uh, am working with a postpartum woman who i've been with for a really long time and went pregnant and had uh emergency c-section and working with that recovery i have a woman who had natural birth but now a six since gyostasis and so it's like everyone's in this kind of different training cycle I wanted to sit down and be like okay how should we be approaching all of this so I came prepared Peter Good. Because you asked the question, how should we approach? I'm like, wow, that's such a big, yeah, that's a big such question. a big question, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I wanted to uh, kind of boil it down. Here is, here is how I kind of approach and how I approached my own pregnancy and postpartum journey and how I like to try to share others, both uh, professionals and um, athletes, to think about theirs. So step number one is establishing what your training cycle is. Mm. So we talk about cycles all the time. We are big into programming with purpose, right? So there are, you know, little mini cycles and meso cycles and macro cycles. Am I missing anything, Peter? Is my education? Very good, very good. So (laughs) when we think about, you know, uh, pregnancy, that's going to be a nine-month cycle. And it probably will be more like three, three 
three-month cycles within that nine-month cycle, right. right? First, second, third trimester. And so instead of thinking, oh, what am I going to do through pregnancy? It's nice to just overall approach it as like, this is a different cycle. This is not a bulking. Well, in, I guess in some phase, in some, it is a bulking is. phase, right? <laughs> but, you know, I'm not in a leaning phase. I'm not right, in a right. performance. I'm not in a sport specific. I'm not, you know, uh, I, you're also there. You're not training for. Uh, being as lean as possible uh, postpartum. Like just focus on this cycle right now instead of stressing yourself out about what you can do now to, you know, set yourself up for either a good birth or a good postpartum because there's honestly no such thing. Like, you know, the trait, I'm going to really set myself up for a solid birth. Sometimes that works out great. Sometimes things happen that are beyond our control and, you know, things happen that you don't even know. So So if we were to look at the pregnancy as a whole, so we have the nine, it's not nine, Nine months, by the it way, it's 10, 10 months. It's 10 10 months. such a lie. The so, lie so, starts with that. So t- 10 <laughs> months is, is the meso cycle. Yes. And then you could kind of maybe argue that each trimester is the macro cycle. And then you've got the uh, micro cycle as how you feel on a weekly basis. Totally. Kind of Especially as your body is changing. Obviously, we know that pregnancy is broken down into weeks. What? How many weeks pregnant are you, right? Because every week it seems like something new is happening. So, yes, you can absolutely think of that. And then, um, and then you know, there's this big thing in uh, the pregnancy and postpartum athleticism community that's like, Pregnancy is temporary, but postpartum is forever. Right. So then it turns into the cycle, the the training cycles for postpartum mm. and overarchingly, you know, the rest of my life slash breaking that down into now the cycles, the training cycles that we're used to in training. So I think number one is uh, thinking of y- your training cycle. And it's like, what do you want to train for? You want to train for mobility. I want to train to be able to get on and off the toilet all throughout the nine months of pregnancy. And I want to be able to feel good, find energy in the morning. I want to, um, some of it is that control of like, I want to be able to do something for me and for myself, you know, as my body is changing. It could yeah. be, I want to witness these this incredible tra- and weird transformation that's happening over the course of these weeks to see how my body is changing. I always talk about like, if you're an athlete and you're afraid of being pregnant because it's like, oh, what's it going to do to my body? And I'm so used to like training so hard and being like that. I'm like, well, then literally nothing is better than pregnancy and postpartum because it's the opportunity to like see what your body is really capable of in the most evolutionary, like fundamental way. And then to approach that from like, okay, I strip back down. I know what I build myself back up from the basics and then beyond, you know. So knowing your training cycle and what you are training for and hopefully working with your coach then to come up with things that aren't aesthetic base that aren't you know um that that how can you find challenge and enjoyment through training that isn't just pushing yourself to the limits to um you know you know or to the sexy prs of lifting heavy and stuff like that you know and also isn't it the argument that you will have a a a more or statistically you will have a more uh easier birth if you are if you have a strong core on your you know, if you've if you've if you've trained your yourself to, you know, stay strong in the areas that you're meant to stay strong and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And also, and this isn't to you know, you know, this isn't to shame anybody that puts on a lot of weight during pregnancy. But is is there an argument for like staying healthy through pregnancy by not letting yourself get too 
heavy. Yeah. So I'll approach those first from the misconceptions and then from the agreement. Right. So the misconception around um, a strong core so, uh, there. The answer is yes. If you are active and moving just like in everyday life you are less susceptible to uh, enduring illness and enduring uh, issues the more mobile you are the more um, uh, strategies you have in place mostly around breath if you're planning on having you know what they consider a quote unquote natural birth um, you know there there are many there's a lot of training that you can do f- to set yourself up. Yes. Sometimes now there's, you could have what's called a hypertonic pelvic floor, which means you are too strong, too wound up. You can't relax into mm. it. And so that, that constriction, totally. So oh. the, con- the, the constriction and contraction of your core and pelvic floor act- and then t- compounding that with the, uh, natural stretchiness of your ligaments and tendons and fascial wall, um, sometimes can cause problems postpartum. It can cause, you know, there's an argument that more tearing during childbirth happens because of tightness through the pelvic floor and the inability to relax. So... Um, so I think, yes, uh, there, there's an, an argument for being strong and, uh, uh, you know, both aerobically strong and having good uh, breathing strategies and movement strategies to work with how your body is adapting. That absolutely sets you up for a better pregnancy, uh, uh, birth and postpartum journey. But I do think that pendulum swings all the way over because then it turns into, um, you know, people maybe doing some unnecessary core work thinking that they need to be, you know, training for birth and that I need to be strong for birth and that that strength comes from from contraction where really the strength comes from relaxing the strength comes from right you know it's like it's easy I, I it's easy to get a massage and to tense up through the whole thing and be like god this sucks but it's really difficult to relax into it so the work can actually be done and it's that's inter- it's good- interesting because when you think about it um you know from an evolutionary standpoint and historically obviously in decades and, and, and centuries past we didn't have access to, to, to gyms and so forth um but generally speaking people were just moving a lot more people were you know, moving around a lot more, walking a lot more, um, just in general staying more mobile than, than we do with our sedentary lives and our, our transport and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it could be argued, oh, well, we didn't do all this exercise 100 years ago. Why why would I need to go to the gym now? And it's like, well, 100 years ago, we were you know moving around a hell of a lot, hell of a lot more and not so sedentary. So you can see how the argument could be. Right, which is an argument for gyms in general, right? right? Where it's like, oh, well, you know, we didn't need a gym. Right. We were ju- it's like, well, yeah, but you were also like rummaging through forests and trying to find things to eat yeah. and climbing trees and uh, go- going through things and trying to like, you know, you were moving and active. So that are, you know, yeah. For life, for pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, for Be yeah. active. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, training cycle. And then the next thing um, really to to manage is mindset and we call that the athlete brain the can I versus should I Mm. Um, and that's a hard thing it's like some days you'll feel really great some days you won't feel great. Some days, you know, the ego speaks to you of like, why well, I've been doing toast to bar and I can continue mm. to do toast to bar. I did toast to bar during first trimester and I'm going to try to push to see how long I can do them until I can't anymore or things like that. And I think it's both important for the athlete to kind of scale back to be like, all right, 
can I versus should I? Right. Can I do it? Yeah, totally. I've done it before. I've been super proud of myself for doing it. My body is incredible. But in this training phase, do I need to? Should right. I do it? Do you have like, when, when you think about trimesters, do you have like blanket cutoffs that's like, you should not do this in the third, mes- third trimester. You should not do this in the second trimester. Or is it more like depending on the person... Yeah, there are definitely some like Pinterest, really good memes, really good graphics that get reposted about, you know, uh, stop doing this first, stop doing this second, stop doing this third. It definitely is more of a blending lines mm. of, um, what it, you know, in theory, if you have good strategies in place, if your breathing is good, if your mobility is good, like you can probably last a lot longer than maybe others. Again, the can I versus should I comes into play. But there there are some blanket things I can say. Like in theory, you would take out highly explosive things. Right. In the second trimester maybe you're continuing some running and some like light jumping and things like that you know in the first and then as you transition you kind of lessen the amount of explosion exploding type stuff I remember a time when I was like late in the second trimester and we went for a mile run and I was like I feel pretty good I I think I'll just try to see see how it goes and then as I was coming back I was like yep that's the last time I'm running Mm -hmm. you know and so there you kind of uh you know, learn as you go. I remember box jumping for a really long time because I felt like I had such a great breathing strategy of how I jumped off the box and la- or jumped off the floor and landed onto the box. And it gave me such joy and thrill to continue to do it. Right. But I stopped doing single leg step ups in second trimester because I had a weird SI, like, you know, uh, uh, sciatic uh, pulling going on. So I actually stopped doing more stability, slow exercises, but still had the power for uh, mm. some explosive work. I know a woman who did handstands in the third trimester. I was ask you about yeah, so that in theory you would stop doing core work. There's really no need to do core work at, um, as it, as we understand it, right? Crunches, sit ups, mm. you know, toes to bar, hanging leg raises, anything that you would like classically, even like planks. You might do dead bug type things, maybe, but maybe not. You know, in theory, there's really no need to do uh, that kind of core work. I like to switch core work to into breath. Floor. Uh, yeah, uh, pelvic mm. floor awareness, connection, and breath work. Right. It's the understanding of you know the. Uh, um, like the entire spectrum of your pelvic floor and and creating intra-abdominal pressure so you can then do other movements. So your core work comes into play no matter whether you're squatting, whether you're hinging. Like when you're pregnant and you're, you know, and you're being stretched out and a baby's growing inside you, everything is core work, you know? Right. <laughs> so what about- you, in theory, should be able to stop doing all core work right. um, and focus and kind of switch that strategy to more breathing and, uh, and, and awareness and connection really of connection to breath pelvic floor and then the global movement pattern what about stuff like snatches because it from 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 the outside you look at it it's like oh my god they're driving that barbell into the into the hips Uh uh-huh isn't there a is there a danger there or is that danger a myth or I, i see i see pregnant women snatching so i'm just yeah so you definitely can i modified um i I modified all of my snatch work to dumbbells. And the reason mm. I did that was I I heard this I heard this coach and it spoke directly to me. Brianna Battles had someone on um speaking about 
You know, Olympic lifting, you can train 10 years to fine tune your bar path, right? Like that bar path is supposed to be straight up and down. Mm. And as soon as you make contact at that, you know, position one and pop straight up, it should go straight up. And as an athlete, pre-pregnancy, you work really hard to establish that skill. And then you'll allow yourself the compensation during pregnancy to let the bar path travel in a different way so you can continue to snatch, which is fine. It You can, and people can do it all the way throughout, especially if they are strong, especially if they are practice, if they've been doing it before. Like there are many, you know, when you see it and it looks effortless and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how they do that. um, Like they're, they're clearly the can I versus should I because can you yeah totally and it looks great brava good for you and the should I is but man did I really want to ruin 10 years of practicing my bar path for right. me to just lose it in three months of uh, of you know wanting to snatch having to move around my belly and so that was like a fun thing to be like oh I could but I don't need to and if I can modify it so that way when I appro- when I come back postpartum to that bar I still know what a straight bar path feels like, you know. Um, so I, so yeah. But in your handstands, handstanding nine months pregnant, and it, they want you to stop doing handstands like second trimester, like you know, and like a lot of coning can happen. The diastasis can show while being pregnant when you're doing that kind of upside down stuff, and like the extension of the rib cage can cause a lot more of that. So. Um, handstands usually a no they made me feel like I was just gonna die like all the blood was rushing to my head I even down dogs I Mm. eventually stopped doing um but I had a friend that did handstands like nine months uh pregnant because it took pressure off of her pelvic floor and it was so nice to flip herself upside down and like feel good you know Mm. and (laughs) again it just like it puts everything into perspective it makes you it really makes you laugh at everything that's like don't do this yes do this Mm. don't do this or this is the timeline of one two and three it's like if if you have connection and honest connection not just like oh my ego is strong and I can do anything but an actual honest assessment and connection with yourself you know well you you can kind of morph it to your own and I also I also think because so many of these rules and so many of these medical rules were written by men historically who have no real experience awareness they don't know how it feels oh yeah they don't know the sensations but they certainly would like to make shoulds for for other people exactly so they don't know what it's like to be in that situation but that they think they can you know yeah they think they know yeah Um, so yeah i don't think that there's anything as no such thing as like a safe or unsafe mm. exercise i think that there are safe and unsafe strategies i think there are safe and unsafe mindsets i think there you know are safe and unsafe um like behaviors and like uh and and coaching relationships like we can perpetuate people's crazy a lot of times you know uh like coaches can kind of feed into that well okay i know you you want to say you know you want to gain as little body fat as possible during pregnancy like so i've heard people say that like i want to get oh that was my other misconception i had to bring it back sorry because i have had people who have gained 40 pounds 
and had a horrible time and had, you know, uh, and like had a ton of diastasis and a ton of pooching and a ton of like insecurities and that their body mm. wasn't back and all of that and that they weren't ready. And I have had, you know, my sister is a great example of someone who lost 80 pa- or who gained 80 pounds and then uh, got married postpartum uh, and had like a reason to lose it all and, you know, trained really hard and got it got it all back. And it was no indication for her, like her gaining 80 pounds during pregnancy was no indication for how she was going to lose it postpartum. She, you know, she, she, she did it. She was back to being healthy. Is there, is there, is there any, um, is there any correlation between um, extreme kind of like weight gain during pregnancy and then depression post pregnancy or is there no correlation? Well, there? I don't know. I can't speak to, I wouldn't be able to speak to the masses on that because like I said it's like it's all it's all up in the mindset because Mm -hmm. I I know just as many people who were twig thin who thought that they weren't going to gain very much who you know oh their genetics taught them that they were going to bounce right back postpartum and they had so many more postpartum depression uh, uh, that it didn't go the way that they planned or the way their genetics you know mapped out or uh, that and that somehow it was a reflection like you know a shame and reflection on them as opposed to uh, just, you know, early in the journey and everyone's on their own journey and it should not be a race to quote unquote bounce back. And there are no, you know, well, Instagram and people definitely feed into like, wow, you look amazing. You don't look like you had a baby at all. It's like that, you know, the well-meaning but like soul-crushing compliments that are, you know, that just like, the change needs to happen there when it comes to the postpartum depression because like making women feel bad for doing the most incredible thing to like bring new life into this world and then put them on a clock to see how fast they can lose it and then or praising women who seem to have lost it fast like I'm a very good example of this I did not lose my quote-unquote baby weight fast but we then went into COVID and a COVID depression hit that got me very lean. Mm. And then I started getting a ton of compliments of like, wow, you don't know, you've got a baby that's a year old. Blah, blah, blah. You look amazing. And like all of that. And I was just sitting there in my head thinking like, God, this is exactly why we have issues. Because like your feet, you were complimenting something that was a disorder for me. By yeah. And, <laughs> what, you know, and so like I think talking about that more will help the overall, uh, you know, Uh, conversation around that and it's also important to note just very quickly that like postpartum depression is also very much chemical like it's not just you know oh I feel bad about myself and how I look like there are literal chemical imbalances that are happening and what and it's easy to feel like it is um in your control slash also your fault it's like this is happening to you just like how pregnancy and all the weird changes happen to you you know um so yeah it's like that's why they call it fourth trimester because it's like there's still so Mm. much of uh, uh so much of your baby and and pregnancy and the and the processes of pregnancy that are like flushing through your body you know breastfeeding all of that the attachments the you know it's it's a it's a whole shebang Mm. yeah 
man, you talk about postpartum depression. I'm all, that's a, se- a whole separate <laughs> yeah. thing. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, what was, uh, what was that combing thing you were talking about earlier? Coning. 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 That was actually, that was what my number four is. So thanks for bringing it on back. Um, As someone who has never gone through this stuff or, yeah. So diastasis. Um, diastasis is unavoidable. This, this is what mm. my, my point is. What should, how should what, fitness what professionals what approach? What is it? Because a lot of people don't, well. Okay, so diastasis is the uh, basically the separation of the connective tissue, so the fascial abdominal wall. It's the separation of that in, out, in order to allow room for your baby to grow out, yeah. right? So that is just, like diastasis is the process by which that happens. It, it, and now it's become marketed into this diagnosis that you have and that you're trying to avoid or you know um there's so many like marketing things about like pregnancy programs to avoid diastasis it's like what are you talking about diastasis is literally what's happening in your body as you are like you know like it's unavoidable um so i think that there is this uh oh but to answer your question it caused it based that separation um then causes coning of the abdominal wall. So let's imagine that you're going to um, come up and do a crunch sit up and usually your skin slash flab and fat and all of that and muscle will kind of contract down and together. So you can like, right, you can all imagine, all right, I crunch up and all my, all my little rolls and skin kind of push down. In diastasis or in coning, I might come up and then imagine that there's a cone in the middle of my stomach from my sternum, from the bottom of my rib cage, you know, down to my belly button. And that could be a very, very tiny cone. Like I was talking to you earlier about seeing our nephew, our five-year-old nephew hanging from a bar and then bringing his knees up. And I saw his little baby coning and I was like, oh, it happens in like developing, you know, kids too. Um, Or it could be massive. Like I said, I'm working with a um, postpartum woman who is uh, about six inches on a bad day four inches under control uh, mm. of that separation. So that's kind of what that means. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. And there's, uh, yeah, the the fear tactics around diastasis are very strong. I feel like mm. it went from the, the uh, speaking of the pendulum It's a big swings, stigma, isn't it? Yeah, the uh, first side of the pendulum swing is like, what? You know, like, I don't know what that, to like not knowing what it is or anything about it. And then the pendulum swinging over to what can I do to stop it? Or what can I do to recover from it postpartum? And then, of course, you know, marketing around all of that. So I just wanted to be clear to uh, fitness professionals that it is not something to be afraid of. It is... It, it will happen. It's unavoidable. It happens in 99 slash, can I, can I feel good? Knock on some, you know, science wood. Uh, 100% of the time, the diastasis. Yeah, my coaster. Uh, yeah. 100% of the time, uh, it, diastasis is occurring. So it, it, And it just, it just show, reveals itself more in some women than others? Uh, yes, because... And that could be because of a million reasons. Like, I imagine a rubber band that you stretch out like a little bit too many times. And so it's, yeah. a, you know, it yeah. kind of loses its elasticity. Mm. So that elasticity then. Um, has a hard time contracting, right? It's not a muscle. It's connective tissue. It's fascia. It means that it gets a lot less blood flow than muscles and it doesn't contract in the same way. And then it takes a lot more time. You know, like imagine a, 
ankle sprain takes forever to heal as opposed to, mm. you know, even a clean break fracture uh, of mm-hmm. something yeah. <laughs> because the ten- tendons and ligaments just don't get as much blood flow and don't have as much. So then that then presents itself as like softness and laxity and then like pooch or like uh, th- then it looks like quote unquote fat, right? It looks like belly fat, but really it's just like softness of the belly. There's not, it's not even fat. Um, and sometimes it like if it's a light diastasis, it can go away with a great breathing strategy. So, you know, I take an inhale and on my exhale, I think about my uh, not just like pushing out, but that my ribs pull into my belly button and that my pelvic floor pulls in and up into my belly button. Right. So I have a canister pushing down. I have a canister pulling up and that creates kind of the pressure around as opposed to, <laughs> you know, or. <gasps> And then holding your breath or that type of thing. So a lot of times um, diastasis can be resolved in the moment with really good breathing strategies. And like anything done repetitiously and patterned appropriately over time and then loaded, uh, it can and uh, it, it can then. Um, become less and less and less. I keep f- tripping over my words because it's not even like it cures. Like I, I'm two years postpartum and almost two years to the yeah, day. Crazy, huh? I know. Yeah, happy, happy birthday, birthday to you my Um, <laughs> but uh, all like I can pretty, I uh, you know I can say I'm like you know back, but I can be doing like toes to bar and filming myself, and if I'm just like going and flailing and huffing and puffing, I'll see a little bit of coning on my own stomach, mm-hmm. or you know if I'm doing like ab rollouts, that's a good example where I'm like going and I'll look down and be like, whoa, I need to change my strategy because I'm conan all over the place you know and then i can get a better strategy of breathing of support of like positioning through my body and then it goes away so you know don't be afraid of it know about it know that strategies help keep it at bay and that you know the more feedback that you have uh um the more you know you can adapt hmm. can we touch briefly on nutrition is there anything else you want to say about this topic before I move on to... No, no. please. Because um, I remember uh, d- during your presidency, you really didn't feel like eating much protein. You you kind of craved just simple carbs more. Um, wh- why is that? And, what, you know, how does that... How did, you, how did your nutritional journey evolve from the start of the pregnancy to the end? That's a good question. Um, yeah. At, so at the beginning, I really just wanted to eat carbs. And not even fat, really. Really just Yeah, carbs. I remember it was just, just, just carbs. carbs. Yeah. And protein. So the, the things that I pretty much had a hard time with throughout all of pregnancy was uh, protein and raw vegetables. So like mm. salads. I think I ate one salad throughout all of pregnancy. <laughs> so yeah, 10 months, one salad. <laughs> Do you think it's because, you know, obviously it's harder to, to digest protein. It's harder to digest raw vegetables. Do you think that's part of it? Uh, yeah, I also think that probably at the beginning, like the, I had like really bad nausea and all of mm. that. And like, you just want simple carbs. Yeah. Like you want, Stuff you know, your body can easily you want applesauce, and- saltines, crackers. You want little, you know, just a simple toast. Yeah. With some butter on it maybe, but maybe yeah. not. Maybe just the simple toast. Right. Yeah. Just with some jam. Yeah. With some jam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Good I, preserve. Yeah. Yeah. I found that. Um, 
I learned so much about how, like, I remember having a pregnant athlete and then talking about nutrition and having opinions and I then like being pregnant and laughing at myself. Yeah, and like even so like men yeah. that prescribe women eating like meal plans during pregnancy, I think is just one of the weirdest things that is yeah, in this know, universe. I know, yeah. I know RP do a, like a pregnancy plan. Yeah. And I like, hope that the people that work on it are, women. Uh, are women who have, been and who have, yeah, who have, or someone who has been pregnant postpartum or who have dealt a lot with them. Um, because, yeah, because yeah, that, that's I the just, worry. It's like, well, this is what you should be eating. Or it's like, it's it's fine to say that, but unless you've been in that situation, unless you know how it feels, right? Like, there's some things you're just not going to feel like eating. Yeah, and sometimes they they blame the kid. Like, they'll be like, "Oh, I bet he's going to hate." Like, they were like, right. "Oh, I bet he's going to hate protein or salads." And like now, why it's like third word King was meat. Protein, yeah. You know, uh, he says the uh, he says protein shake now, and it's so cute. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I am definitely not an expert on pregnancy and postpartum nutrition. I but I did become more um, like forgiving and understanding yeah. and compassionate about how difficult it is to to find that in theory yeah the more balanced you eat it, like they say that that can limit the effects of nausea and you should try to do you know like eat something right in the morning and try to eat more balanced and uh, try to eat more often throughout the day and stuff but I feel like that's all just you know throwing throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks so you just gotta figure out what works for you and not worry too much I you know nutrient density is still a thing right like you want to give you want to give yeah. your baby the, yeah, the, the right stuff means, yeah so but i think you you tap into that maternal instincts and it all you know i imagine it must be a, a hard a hard line to draw between oh my baby's hungry i need to eat and not just like constantly just overeating because you think your baby needs to eat. Yeah, I think they said something that, that like you're not really eating for two that you end up averaging an extra like 450 calories like right. ends up being like, you know, an extra snack here and there. Right. Um, yeah, and I think there were definitely times that I and t- times of the semester, uh, uh, semesters, trimesters that I didn't want to eat and then for like force yeah, myself to eat because yeah. I had to. And then there were times that I was just like ravenous right. and, um, you know, let that happen. Uh, and yeah, tried not to take. You know, it, like I know what balanced eating looks like. But I knew what was happening to me. And yeah, it's a hard thing to know. Like, am I leaning into this? Should I just let myself eat all these Oreo cookies and all this right. ice cream because like I'm pregnant? And like, you know, sure, you got a lifetime of dealing with other people. Like, you know, you got a lifetime of parenting. And if you want to gorge on a, you know, pint of ice cream right now, here, like here. queen, whatever you whatever you got to do, you know. Um, but like, you know, hopefully and usually you want to approach it with a balanced uh, a balanced idea of like, OK, you know, I want to get some carbs, proteins and fats in me. I want to try to balance them out. I want to definitely Hydrate. consume more. I, you don't want to be an intermittent faster pregnant right. woman. You know, you don't want to wait until noon. A yeah, lot of times, terrible. but a lot of times morning. Well, it's, it, it's hard because you feel nauseous maybe all throughout the day. It's not just the morning, but, um, 
you feel nauseous and then you don't eat. But the answer really is to eat and to kind of stabilize your blood sugar levels a little mm-hmm. bit and kind of like helps that out. But it's that kind of double-edged sword or self-fulfilling whatever of yeah. like, I don't want to eat and then I wait until noon and then I feel even worse. And then I like, and then I haven't eaten all day. So I'm going to gorge and eat myself silly uh, uh, before I go to bed. Yeah. And so, yeah, trying to just like meet yourself where you are and approach it with balance. But know that again, this is a, but a phase of, your life this is not the end all be all you know consuming that pint of ice cream does not set you up for you know uh, your kid to have diabetes like you can also go down that rabbit hole of like every single thing you put in your body is like you know a make or break it it's not your you know i mean i think with with um pregnancy and postpartum you know like a lot of things in fitness we need to attach less guilt we need to attach less you should be doing this you should feel like that and just understand that everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different um we can't look at someone you know as in the gym someone who's doing the same workout as us getting different results we can't be upset by that because everybody is different and pregnancy is just the same like you're going to feel differently to the next person um you're going to have a different appetite you're going to have different cravings you're going to be in different phases at different times totally and some days you may feel like you're totally crushing it and then on others you're like what's wrong with me and yeah you just gotta take it day by day and and talk right and talk to people and not like not walk around keeping everything in and feeling like you know you're doing something wrong or feeling like you're eating something wrong you know just yeah be as Find open that and communicate yeah 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 um can we talk a bit about breath we kind of touched on it a little bit but yes so um yeah so i off i'm, I'm a breathing maniac people yeah. make fun of me because i'll be in a workout and I, I, yes, I have, I have my, I have my, my, my style. Um, and I pretty much sync up a breathing strategy to every single movement I do. So, and it's like a fun thing for me. If I'm doing box jumps, how am I breathing? Am I exhaling? Uh, like, you know, am I exhaling after my feet hit the box or am I exhaling once my feet are off the floor and then hitting the box? Am I exhaling at the bottom of the rep, at the top of the rep or throughout the entire range of motion? Right. Like, so yeah. you're going there. So, uh, the the main thing is that the breath is basically the fuel that provides connection for your muscles to move like you're it, it, you know the it really is like just the thing that like kind of circuit wires them together so breath provides the connection that you need and your breath really connects your pelvic floor so like you know you got your hips and all the muscles on the inside of your hips that are keeping them all there. And then you got the transverse abdominis, so the human floating device that wraps all the way around you and uh, from front back, from sternum down to hips. Um, and then, of course, your rectus abdominis, like like you know. So the the pro the uh, i'll start this off by speaking to the like power lifters or the crossfitters or the like uh, those kinds of athletes the most popular breathing strategy that we use is called valsalva and that's basically taking an inhale and let's imagine that you're wearing a weight belt and the goal is to kind of push pressure against the weight belt right all the way around you and that's supposed to like trick your body into turning on your TVA or like you know uh, and to support you all the way around so you find that breathing strategy like this right so I go inhale and I hold that breath and I push out I'm pushing 
everything out. You can see it because it's also going to push it out of my brain. Yeah? Uh, relax. Uh, we always joke, uh, it, it, we talk about how that creates tension in your body. And that tension gives you the power that you need to move, right? We talk about that. Uh, you know, you're setting up for your back squat and you go, and then you go, right? Mm-hmm. And you do that. So... Now, that is but one strategy to create intra-abdominal pressure. And that intra-abdominal pressure is pushing out and likely down. And let's say if you have a weak uh, pelvic floor or you're pregnant, if you're pushing out, you're stretching against the linea alba and the fascia. And if you're pushing down, you're, press- you're pressing against the like pelvic floor and putting more pressure on all of that, right? So, but it works. Because we can lift one rep max, right? It's really, right. It, it allows you to like keep everything tight. And then usually you exhale, like if we're going to use the back squat as an example, I'm going to exhale um, uh, once I switch direction. So I go down, I hold it, I'm at the bottom, I exhale out of the bottom, right? That's like the standard way of breathing. The first kind of uh, approach or strategy that I get athletes to think about whether they're pregnant, postpartum, or not, because breathing strategies should change. You shouldn't use the same strategy that you use for an 80% or a one rep max lift as you do for cycling through, uh, you know, your yeah. row for all of mm. that. So finding different strategies. So I like to take the back squat and say, okay, let's change instead to exhale through the entire range of motion. And When you exhale, I want you to imagine that like a cylinder, like a canister, or if you want to think about it like Star Wars and like the, you know, like the walls that are coming in like this. Yes, very good. Yes. Yeah, very, very good. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) if you want to think about it it like that, as you exhale, my ribs are pulling down into my belly button and my pelvic floor is pulling in and up. So I'm being met in the middle. Right. So I'm creating the pressure from the top to the bottom and meeting myself in the middle as opposed to pushing out and down or holding my breath. Right. So that might be a good example that someone who's pregnant or postpartum or experiencing like let's say that you um, like a good example is when you pee during double unders. And now I will pause disclaimer, go see a pelvic floor physical therapist, go chat with some, uh, someone. But like the one good uh, strategy that you could try to fix is changing your breathing strategy through double unders. So breathing mm-hmm. strategies usually look like this. <laughs> Right. It's high up into the chest. I'm mm-hmm. holding my core tight and I'm controlling the breath through my my upper cavity as opposed to thinking that I'm going to. I've done three double unders at that point. Right. Right. So I am using my the the cylindrical canister of my my trunk to create the intra-abdominal pressure and core support that I need to keep my pelvic floor in tight. Yeah. So I'm not just tightening it, which then if it's weak or if it's like overly tight but loose, it, you'll still have laxity and then you might still pee yourself or like feel like you're empty or something's falling out of you, you know. Um, and you also get better at double unders. So you don't even need that advice for while you're pregnancy or postpartum because usually when you're huffing and puffing, you're like you're not going to yeah. hold on for the, you know, 100, 200, 300 that, you, that you're doing in, in the volume of a workout. It reminds me of the ice baths. So the, temp- the temptation when you get in the ice bath is big. Yes. And really you're just like. 
Yes. And that's a great example. When you're exhaling in the ice bath, you are thinking about the same thing because you want to generate internal heat in your body to keep you warm, right? So as you exhale, you're thinking of that same thing of like the using your exhale to create fire and uh, and fuel mm. that then pushes the rib cage down, pulls the pelvic floor in and up. You're while you're in the ice bath, you're like really calm, relaxed there. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, totally the same thing. So breathing strategies. You need them while you're pregnant for show, but you can uh, take advantage of them regardless. The message is universal. Yeah. So when we have a new athlete that comes to the gym, we often do like a, a screening, like a movement screening, how well they move and all that kind of stuff. How do you approach screening for someone that is 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 both pregnant or postpartum? How do you How do you go about that? Yeah, we, well, uh, some of it's the same, like uh, movement screening uh, through the global movement pattern, seeing how the athlete hinges and squats and pushes and pulls and, you know, transfers, uh, limb transfers from one side to the other, like a lunge or something. We still do all of that. I kind of break down screening for um, pregnant and postpartum athletes of you screen their movement, you screen their breath, and then screening their mindset should be a part of it too, right? Because you can tell a lot about an athlete if they're coming in pregnant and they're like, but I don't want to change anything. I want to keep doing exactly what I've been doing and I want to stay as fit as I possibly can. Like you can tell a lot about where that person is and what they, what kind of coaching they might need um, and, and, and ways in which that you might help them figure out the can versus should and but how to still find the excitement and the fervor mm. and like the love of the sport to keep them excited for this nine month training cycle that may 10 month training cycle right because mo- be motivation is still a big part of it right just keep Huge someone part. motivated they have to be enjoying themselves they have yeah. to find a way yeah, fun. and if you're waking up nauseous or in pain or you got, you know, um, SI issues or you got some laxity in your hip joints or you got any any type of thing, any things at all. Um, I had cholestasis at the end. My whole body was itching. Last thing I wanted to do was squat, you know. Um, so, yeah, the you got to know that where you are mentally plays such a huge role and keeping the light of why you know keeping the love of movement and um and i like to approach it from like that thing i did for myself to check in on myself to have time with myself to have opportunities to find better strategies you know like trying to come up with uh, helping the athlete come to that conclusion instead of trying to train for something or still Mm. do everything that they used to do or the opposite where maybe they're a little afraid of what they can do and they're not quite sure so they're going to err on the side of caution and finding those opportunities that you can get them to kind of surprise themselves like I remember working with the the um, woman who is about to have her baby now and um, was on IVF and has had like a hell of a time of uh, you know both trying and uh, experiencing pregnancy and I remember we sled push it we did sled pushes across the turf and she was like ah! like so excited that she just got to do something and was like I'm so surprised that I was able to do that and that I felt so good and so strong. Um, so yeah, t- t- assessing and screening their mindset so you know what kind of athlete they are, how they're going to approach this training cycle, where they might have like weaknesses and insecurities or fears and how you can help, uh, you know, aid in all of those things. So movement screening, uh, breath screening, what strategies they have in place if they if they breathe 
breathe chest first or belly first if they have that kind of connection that to their breath at all. Um, those three things are big screening tools. Mm. Yeah. And does that presumably that varies massively from person to person? Like you can get people on different ends of the spectrum completely. Totally, and it's that's why it's a great place to start because someone's someone's training program will look totally different if you screen and they have uh, a ton of flexibility issues like maybe you know they are not flexible at all as compared to somebody who maybe has a ton of um, relaxant flowing through their body and they're super mobile and they're overly right. mobile and they're going to need a completely different program so just from a movement perspective but then now from a uh, breath perspective let's say you're an athlete and you're constantly you know you might work with that person to on deep bottom of the squats on relaxing their pelvic floor and getting them to experience that like empty feeling and not being continually contracted you know so it's just like it that's the fun part about it is like you have three you know if you're doing movement and mindset and breath you kind of like any given day you can be like what are we working on today how's your mind how's your breath how's your movement you know and also like training age still is a huge factor in this kind of thing and we we always talk about training age at the gym like when someone comes into the gym when they first become a member Training age is like, okay, how long have you been training for in the past? Because obviously someone who's been training for 10 years and becomes a member is in a very different situation from someone who has never trained before and wants to become a member. And I would imagine with pregnancy is no different. So if they totally. have a, a big training age, they're used to a, a big training volume, they're going to be able to do a lot more than someone who's like, you know, maybe they are coming into the gym for the first time because they are pregnant, because they want to stay fit and healthy during pregnancy. Sure. So it's a completely different situation. Yeah. And mentally, like you're working on the person who's maybe a little bit more fearful. They're just coming in as opposed to the person who's been doing this 10 years and maybe thinks they know everything and maybe yeah. wants to try to push past some of those things. So, yeah, it's a fun opportunity for the coach to kind of treat no two athletes the same, but yes. especially in this, yeah. uh, in, you know, in, yeah. in this, you know, but for the most part, you I will say you can pretty much do keep doing a lot of stuff. So long as you listen to your body and you continue, you're open to adjusting your strategy and like your mindset and that you come up from a place of wanting to adapt as opposed to either maintain or challenge yeah. or pursue, you know, and, pursue, and don't be perform. afraid to ask for help. Right. Don't don't take that burden on all yourself. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Ask for ask advice to people who've been through it before. Yeah. You know. Because a lot of the a lot of the problems that happen are, are reoccurring problems in different people, so it's like it's valuable to to seek out knowledge from people who've had that experience in the past. Absolutely, especially since you learn that the more you know, the more you don't know. So, like right. when people are speaking in like absolutes, they probably don't know as much as the persons who's uh, who's like, well, I don't know, because it's so different for everyone. I've had right. people across all the, you know, it's uh, like I'm much more interested in that experience because there's more of it they have you know they can speak to uh the if this then that as opposed to well if pregnant then this you know so aside from obviously this podcast and the the extreme knowledge that people will gain from it um (laughs) what resources would you recommend uh to people looking for advice who can they where can they go who can they reach out to 
So if you are uh, pregnant, postpartum, if you're worried, experiencing any symptoms, of um, just things you want to check in on, I always recommend going to your doctor and getting a referral for pelvic floor physical therapy. They And, uh, and the, tool, the tools and the knowledge that they have um, will far outbeat most other health practitioners mm. um, and especially fitness professionals. You know, it's like even though it's a muscle, it's like not a muscle, you know. There, there ain't a whole section in NASM. Right. Uh, built around pelvic floor, you know? Right. Um, so um, definitely seek that out. If you're a coach, don't wait to learn about pregnancy and postpartum until you have an athlete in your class or in your as your as your client. Seek it out. And um, like all knowledge, try to seek out the stuff that is are, that are the gray areas that are open for discussion as opposed to the absolutes that are like, you know, the, do this, not this kind of thing. Um, and... As always, I always recommend the Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism course. It is welcome for both uh, people just curious about their own bodies as well as can, um, you know, is suitable for a uh, continuing education credit for uh, fitness professionals. So Brianna Battles, she is the best of the best in in that world um, and has a ton of resources on her own so i know she's built a uh a a huge digest of health professionals and different types of coaching and doctors and um people who can help so i definitely recommend looking into brianna battles pregnancy postpartum athleticism um if you're at pharos and in echo park come chat with me come hang out with me um and i can help lead you in that right direction as well we're in idlewild you can come and see us yeah you can also come and see oh wow yeah we're in two places at once also there was another podcast with a former athlete who went through a yeah so pregnancy. madeline Mosier, who great is podcast. A, such a great podcast yeah she also is a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach um she's awesome she's working out of san antonio um right now uh, with her family she just had her third little babes and um another incredible resource her instagram is actually one of my favorites she breaks down a lot of uh, like if you're curious mm. to go into more about the um like breathing strategies and um and and what that all kind of looks like i definitely recommend her Instagram for that amazing alright guys that about wraps it up for this podcast um, uh, thanks again for tuning in thanks Emily for joining me yes thanks for having me of course thank you Brandon for coming up always a pleasure um, we are of course open uh, full schedule we are increasing classes all the time at the Ferris Athletic Club 1316 Glendale Boulevard the base gets bigger all the time we're increasing our, our equipment all the time so come check us out are you talking about the out. hip thrust machine the hip thrust machine from Atlantis is oof so good high demand for it you probably won't use it if you're pregnant though (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah uh, come see us uh, when you can also uh, check out the website for jointhepack.fit slash retreats for everything that's going on at Ferris Mountain Lodge come up and see us soon in Idlewild Uh, and we look forward to uh, seeing you in either spot uh, shortly Uh, but until next time take care guys and see you soon see you bye